Hello, Frighters! I'm Holland Elise, and this is Fight or Fright. Welcome, welcome, welcome! It's another episode of Fight or Fright. How are y'all doing? I'm Holland. I'm the host with the most. And before I get into this week's episode, one, the day I'm recording today is my amazing brother's birthday. So happy birthday, bro. Love you. I hope it's a great day. And on top of that, I, so I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I mean, I have a Harry Potter Deathly Hallows tattoo. Like it's, I, I love the series. And so a very Potter musical on YouTube, when I watched it, it made me get into Glee because Darren Chris was going to be on the second season of Glee. And so since Darren Chris was going to be on the second season of Glee and I watched him on a very Potter musical, I was just like, I have to watch this. So I caught up on the first season and watched every season after that. And the reason I bring that up is my thoughts, my prayers and everything are going to Naya Rivera's family, her son, just the people that worked with her on Glee or in general, just to all her loved ones, my thoughts go out. Today, I saw the news that she is missing and her four-year-old son was found by himself on the boat with like a life jacket on and sleeping. And so I'm glad he was found okay. My prayers go out to her family. I hope she's okay. Who knows what's happening? I haven't been able to get much more information than that, but it's really sad. I like sadly feel like the Glee cast is kind of cursed, but I'm going to take that out of the atmosphere and hope not because I loved Glee. It was so much fun and I always loved singing along with it. So I hope it's not. I hope Naya's okay. I hope her family's okay. My thoughts and prayers go out to them. And so now I'm going to get started with this week's episode. So this week, the story starts. It's Wilmington, Delaware, the 90s. For fashion at the time, think Cher and Clueless, which, holy fuck, I dream of the closet that Cher had in Clueless. I absolutely love it. It is fucking awesome. And... I know I only recently just watched Clueless because my roommate told me that it was like basically blasphemy that I hadn't seen it. So I've now seen it. Love the fashion. Love the fucking closet. It's amazing. When you think 90s, think of that. (laughs) I, I mean, I was born in like 91. So I was young when this case happened. But so it's Wilmington, Delaware and Tom Capano who was a lawyer at the time, met a bubbly, kind, shy, beautiful, beautiful woman named Anne-Marie Fahey. They met in the spring of 1994, and Anne-Marie was working as like a secretary slash scheduler for the then governor of Delaware, Tom Carper. So Tom Capano and Anne-Marie They ended up just kind of moving in the same circles and knowing the same people just because Anne-Marie worked with the governor. Tom was a lawyer. They just they they just ran in the same circles and ended up meeting each other. 
So onlookers of the two would say that their attraction and connection was immediate. They just, they got along from the get-go, from what people saw. And so there was only one minor, I mean, minor, if you really want to nitpick, Capano was married and he had four daughters. So Anne-Marie didn't really feel as though what she was doing was completely wrong. I mean, she didn't think it was a good thing and it was right, but Capano had convinced her that he was married only on paper, but that his love with his wife was long lost. So in her mind, his marriage was basically over and she ended up becoming his mistress and they ended up having an affair. Little did Anne-Marie know that Capano was pretty much a serial adulterer. I don't know why I said it like that, but he, he'd had affairs before. He had been involved with another affair outside of his affair with Anne-Marie. Capano had an ongoing 15, 15 year affair with a woman named Debbie McIntyre. Debbie was, was the ex-wife of one of his law partners. I couldn't find out if it was before or after the divorce that Capano and Debbie ended up getting together. But either way, that's fucking messed up and weird. I mean, it's your law partner. That's, I don't know. And like 15 years and then he wants to start another affair. I feel like that has to be so hard to juggle three women. I mean, I know lawyers make good money, but you have four daughters and three wives or three girlfriends, like one wife and two girlfriends. Like that's what, like, how do you keep that all straight? I, I don't know. But Anne-Marie was completely in love. And I kind of want to paraphrase something that the article from Medium I read. The author of the article is Lori Johnston. And she basically, this is a paraphrase. It's not completely what she said. But what she basically said is that looking at his picture, she couldn't quite understand why a cute girl like Anne-Marie fell for him. And all I got to say is, same girl. I saw the pictures researching this and I don't fucking understand. It's not like he was like this, like silver fox or he was no Christian Slater, let's say. I mean, I've been watching the Dirty John, Betty Broderick story. He's he's no Christian Slater. So she then went on to say that people spoke about Capano saying that he was charming, intelligent, and he was super self-assured. And when I say this, I'm speaking from experience. Someone with this self-assurance would make someone with self-confidence issues feel amazing. It's what they're looking for. And from articles I read, Anne-Marie was super self-conscious. She had struggled with bulimia and anorexia. So like, and I say I'm speaking from experience because I suffered from those things too. Well, I suffered from basically anorexia. Like I understand what it's like to have like being self-conscious and having a warped sense of your body. I'm starting to grow on that journey, but it's, it's a struggle. People like people say something and you only hear the negatives and I had something called Turner's syndrome. So I didn't grow 
I didn't get taller or like make estrogen like many of the other women. I like, I didn't go through a growth spurt. So I kept my baby fat for a lot longer than most people would. And I always thought of myself as fat and ugly. And it took a long time for me to get over that. And I was anorexic for like probably almost a year. So I understand what Anne-Marie is going through. And I know at that point in my life, someone that had such self-confidence coming to me and basically showing interest in me and all of that, like it, it's something that you look for and it makes you feel good about yourself because someone's paying attention to you. So I can completely understand him being intelligent and charming and self-assured that she kind of, and I read this in the Medium article too, she she wrote down when they were going on vacations, like she wrote down the like what was good about both of them and the list of what she brought to the table was much smaller than what she thought he brought to the table. So it's just, she had a, a, from all accounts, had a warped sense of herself, but she was fucking gorgeous. Anne-Marie Fahey was beautiful. So him being charming, intelligent, self-assured, that would really, really stick out to her. And I mean, he spoiled her and he used his money to treat her like a fucking queen. She grew up with what she needed, but there was still financial struggles. And so someone that had this money that was gracious with it and spent it on her made her feel special, made her feel probably made her feel beautiful. Like that would really stick out to her. And so it ended up being another long affair for Capano. Anne Marie and him had an affair for approximately like two years on and off is what I saw in one article. But in the other article, I saw two years. So she would vacation with him in Virginia. And it got to the point where she was imagining and hoping and dreaming that Tom Capano would leave his wife and family for her. It was a daydream. It was something she thought about. But sadly, that rarely ever happens. But it's hard for someone after two years saying that he and his wife are no longer in love, that they're married only on paper and blah, blah, blah. I say it like that, not because of Anne-Marie, but because of fucking Tom Capano. It's hard for her. It's hard to blame her. She probably did fall head over heels for him and hoped that he may one day leave his wife, even though that's probably not going to happen. And it's usually rarely the case. I mean, to Capano, Anne-Marie was a bit of a challenge, but she was also very easily controllable because of her self-esteem and her issues with her self-confidence. And I feel like this is probably one of the reasons, and the article I read from Medium agrees with me, this is probably one of the reasons he was attracted to her. He could easily manipulate and control her. So... Anne-Marie, she ended up trying to break things off a couple of times. After two years, Capano had learned how to hit below the belt and hit where it hurt. He knew her inside and out. He knew her insecurities, that she was in therapy, that she was on Prozac, that she had an eating disorder. And he knew that she was so guilty to have been involved in an affair with someone who was married. 
And he would smother her with love, money. He would call her obsessively. He would email her, send her flowers. And then if that didn't work, he would threaten to take back all of the gifts that he had given her over the years. He'd then come to her and also string her along even more and manipulate her by saying that he would leave his wife for her eventually. And most likely, he had no plans of ever leaving his wife or his daughters or his family, but he wanted to keep control of Anne-Marie. So when breaking up with Capano, Anne-Marie had hoped that maybe they could just be friends because there was a connection there and they liked each other and for the most part, kind of got along. But he did not care for that at fucking all. She was worried about how people would react and what they would think of her for being part of an affair with the married man. This insecurity and fear led to her not telling people about his harassing and controlling behavior because she thought that it was her that was going to be judged, not him. So... Even after they broke up and she broke things off with him, she would still keep in touch with him. And after they broke up in the Christmas of 1995, Capano had bought Anne-Marie a plane ticket to Spain. And in the past, he would use money and gifts and things like that to basically reel her back in. He would spend his money on a trip where they could spend more time with each other, he could get his grips back on her, and things would mend between them. And he kind of thought that this would work this time too. Anne-Marie was over Tom Capano, and she'd moved on, and she would not accept his ticket to Spain. She was not fucking having it. She's like, you're out of my life, you're done, bye, good riddance, adios. And Anne-Marie had actually started dating another man by the name of Michael Scanlon. I think that's how you say it. I'm not 100% sure. But Scanlon had the money. He was an executive. He was unattached, so he was single. He was drama-free, and he brought fun back into Anne-Marie's life. They were getting along, and if they weren't in love at that moment, it was definitely heading that way. And they enjoyed spending time with each other. But... Tom Campano was no longer taking space in her life. He was out of her life. She didn't give a fuck about him anymore. Well, she probably still cared about him because someone that's mentally abused you and got under your skin for so long is probably always going to be always going to take up space. But she had a new boyfriend from everything. It looked like she was getting her life back on track and this was not okay with Tom Capano because, I mean, no one breaks up with Tom Capano before he's done with them. He's the one that breaks things off. And he was pissed. But as I said, she still kept in touch with him. I think in part because she was scared of him. But I think she also hoped that maybe they could still stay friends. And because of her insecurities and fears of judgment... She didn't tell her friends and family and even her new boyfriend about this dangerous man that's harassing her. Still, because of the new boyfriend, Michael, she was no longer under Capano's spell and he was not okay with that. So on June 27th, 1996, Tom Capano and Anne-Marie 
ended up going to dinner at, I couldn't find the restaurant, but they went to dinner in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is pretty darn close to Wilmington, Delaware. I mean, it's not like a hop, skip and a jump, but it, but it's still pretty darn close driving wise. So they went to dinner in Philly and it is believed that she told him she was seeing someone else and that she was telling him that he was basically officially out of her life and breaking up with him for good. It is said that there was tension between the two that night, both from onlookers and the waiter who served them that night. He spoke to how little banter, discussion, interaction there was between the two. They didn't speak like so many couples he had interacted with before at this restaurant who were seemingly on dates. So things were not going well and neither of them were super happy. And seeing as Anne-Marie, she wasn't supposed to work on the 28th. So Capano deluded himself into thinking that the secretary slash scheduler of the governor of Delaware would not be missed until Monday when she was back in work and didn't realize that people would notice she was missing. Also, I mean, she was a cute, well-liked, bubbly white woman that worked in uh, worked for a high-ranking person in the Delaware political community. So media was basically almost instantly involved. I mean, even the fucking FBI got involved in the search for Anne-Marie and they assisted in looking into the disappearance. I mean, I kind of think that this is, and medium is kind of where I read this, but I, I believe it. I believe that the FBI got involved and fairly quickly because she worked for the governor of Delaware and Bill Clinton had become aware of the situation and offered resources to assist the Delaware local police and law enforcement. It took a while to figure things out, but they ended up speaking to Capano about Anne-Marie's disappearance. He told them that they went to dinner. He dropped her off at 10 p.m. And then... Whoosh! Never saw her again. Fucking idiot. But her body has never been found. And so, in a way, we can only speculate on the events that occurred. And these speculations and these theories and... Basically, what the prosecution uses as what happens comes from the testimony of Gerald or Jerry Capano. And he's Tom's brother, who Jerry had helped Tom get out of some sticky situations in the past. And so, according to Jerry, and a little bit of Debbie McIntyre too, but this is kind of how the story goes. So, whether willingly or unwillingly, Anne Marie went with Tom Capano back to his rented place. Either way, if it was willing or unwilling, he convinced her to hang out, maybe watch TV, maybe watch a movie, maybe have a nightcap, something. They were going to do something at his place. Then it is said that he came up behind her and shot her in the head. If this is the case, the only semi-silver lining, and I can barely even say that it's a silver lining, is that she had no clue what was happening to her, which is both kind of a silver lining, but also devastating. She couldn't even fight back. 
It's just horrible. So once he shot her, he placed her body in a fucking igloo ice cooler, like an ice cooler, like the kind that fishermen use for big catches. And she was fairly, fairly tall. She was around 5'10". So in order for her to fit in the cooler, it said that he had to break her legs. Like, what the fuck? You've already killed her. And now you're breaking her legs? It's so fucking messed up. But after she was dead and in the cooler, he got started at her apartment staging the scene. He put her dress on a chair. He staged her purse and wallet on the table. He left the takeout box near the purse because she didn't finish her whole meal when they went out to dinner. So he left the takeout box near the purse on the table all to make it look like she had come home. But he did not think about how well the people who knew and loved her knew her. (laughs) And they were like, what the fuck? She would never leave takeout food on the table. She would put it in the fridge. That would be the first thing she would do. And her dress would never be on a chair. It would never be out. She was like an OCD clean freak. And I don't mean that in a bad way. She's just, she was very clean. And this is what was said by those who are close to her. It just didn't look like it was something she would do or tolerate in the place that she lived. So the next day, which I'm assuming is the 28th. It didn't really give a date, but they're assuming that she died sometime between the 27th and the 28th. So I'm going to assume on the 28th, that is when Tom Capano contacted his brother, Jerry, to help him. And they used Jerry's boat. They went like almost 62 miles out into the sea and opened the cooler and they dumped Anne Marie's body, which still hasn't been found to this day because it's in the Atlantic and sadly it probably will never be found, which is just horrible. But they put her body in the Atlantic ocean and then they disposed of the cooler. They threw that into the ocean too. But as hard as he tried, Tom didn't get rid of everything. There was still some circumstantial evidence that pointed towards Tom Capano He was careful, but he just didn't do a perfect job cleaning. In his place, they found a small drop of blood that linked to Anne-Marie. He purchased a new rug the day after Anne-Marie disappeared. He disposed of the bloody furniture in a dumpster at the place of one of his other brothers named Louis or Louis. Finally, Anne-Marie has never been found, but the igloo cooler was found by a fisherman named Jay Chuck. Then they could trace the gun back to another person we've heard in this story already, Debbie McIntyre. And she told authorities that he called her, he was talking to her, and he said he was being threatened and that he was scared. And so she got him a gun so he could protect himself. But this is the gun that ended up being used to kill Anne-Marie. Horribly, Anne-Marie's journals ended up being leaked before the trial And the media decided to print the entries that painted Anne kind of as like crazy and losing it and spoke to like her therapy, Prozac, all of her struggles, which is just fucked up. I feel like someone's journal like that's that's so personal to them. I 
would rather have my friends like come and burn every journal I ever wrote in than have that get leaked or or used or put in the media for everyone to read. That's like your private thoughts and doesn't really like it's how you're feeling. It doesn't really have much basis in reality. It's just putting your feelings on paper. So it's really fucked up that the media, even if they didn't print the entries that made Anne Marie seem this way, even if they put good ones out there, like it's just fucked up that the media did that. And so once the trial started, the defense from what I read, ended up placing all the fucking blame on Debbie McIntyre. They're saying that they were, I'm assuming, I couldn't even find like really a whole in-depth thing of what the defense was trying to say, but what it seemed like in the article that I read that they were trying to say was Debbie McIntyre, Anne-Marie, and Tom Capano were all in the same place. There ended up being a struggle struggle for the gun. There was an accident, blah, 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 blah. I say that because it's fucking bullshit. And the jury must have really, really, really fucking hated Tom Capano because it's not like the prosecutors got likable and sympathetic people to take the stand. I mean, Jerry lent the boat willingly. And it wasn't until police questioned him that he said anything about his involvement with what happened to Anne Marie. And I mean, Debbie got him the gun. So it's not like these people were super sympathetic or likable or anything like that. It's just Tom Capano seemed to be pretty unlikable. And luckily, the jury did not buy this bullshit once the evidence was heard. And Tom Capano was found guilty. And originally, He was sentenced to death by lethal injection, but he obviously went through the appeals process. And in the end, the sentence ended up being changed to life in prison because this was kind of around the time when people and not as many states completely like agreed or did the death penalty at that point. It usually became life in prison at that point. So, I mean, Tom Capano was a man who was envied looked up to, well-known, admired by the community, this verdict of guilty of murder and murdering a cute, bubbly young woman that had such a life ahead of her. It obviously, I mean, this is a Captain Obvious type situation, but fucking obviously this ruined his reputation. But not only his reputation, I mean, it cast a horrible light on the circle and people that he surrounded himself with. And on September 19th, 2011, Tom Capano was found dead in his cell. It was determined to be cardiac arrest. And so that's kind of all I could find on like the case and what happened to Anne-Marie Fahey. I just think it's devastating that her body has never been found. But I don't fuck with the ocean. It's messed up out there. Like the ocean can be really scary. And you don't know, we don't know a lot about like the marine wildlife and everything. So it's really sad that she hasn't been found in a way. I think it's a small miracle that the igloo cooler was found so that they at least could kind of trace something back and kind of to an extent verify Jerry's story that he told them. But while I was doing research, I came across another super interesting article And this article 
is an interview with Aaron Riley Lee. And Aaron Lee was the eighth juror on Tom Capano's murder case. And she was able to speak to the jury's thought process and kind of what they did to try and determine whether Tom Capano was guilty or not. So Aaron Lee says that originally the jury was split half and half. It wasn't like it was originally completely guilty all at one time. They were pretty evenly split. And what happens next, I think, is fucking crazy. So they decided that where they needed to start was to see if it was even possible for Anne-Marie to get in, like, fit into the cooler, be in there. And Aaron Lee just happened to be the closest in size and weight to Anne-Marie. And so they literally asked for the cooler, the igloo cooler that was found, the evidence, and she fucking got in it. She was a couple inches shorter than Anne-Marie, and she spoke to how uncomfortable it was. And she talked about how when Tom Capano said that he didn't have to break her legs, that he didn't do that, they basically just called bullshit because Aaron Lee She took this crazy fucking step and they basically came to the conclusion that he either broke her legs to fucking get her to fit in there or something worse. And by worse, I mean, cut them off. It's it's horrible. And because we don't have her body, we don't fully know what would have been used. But they just were like, there's no way like she almost fits, but there's no way that she just easily got into this cooler. There had to be more force and there had to be more to it than he was saying. And so they took this wild and crazy step to prove if he was guilty or innocent. And after this step, the 12 jury members all agreed that he was guilty, he was manipulative, and they gave their verdict of guilty and the sentence was death by lethal injection. It's a it's a crazy story. And it's interesting because, I mean, as you heard with the Lost Boys of Bucks County in last week's episode, I am from around this area. My brother lives near that, like near that area. It's I've I've passed through it many times because I went to college in Baltimore. I worked in D.C. Like I passed the exit for Wilmington all the fucking time. So when I saw this story, I thought it was so interesting that I'd never heard of it. I mean, I know in 96, I was like four years old at that time. So I know that like I wasn't really watching the news and I was a kid that was terrified of fucking everything. I was terrified of my own shadow. Like I wouldn't have been able to watch anything like that, but But it's just interesting that I'd never heard of this because it's just so tragic what happened to Anne-Marie Fahey. And so that is this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. Please, please, please follow me on social media. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really does help. It helps so much. And I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and join me next week for an all new episode. Love you, Friders. Bye. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Fighter Fright. 
You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fight or Fright Pod and on Gmail at fightorfrightpod at gmail.com. Twitter is the only one that's a little bit different in there, and that's at Fight Fright Pod. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it, and it would really help me if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Even just spreading the word to family, friends, people you know that enjoy true crime, mysteries, paranormal, all of that kind of stuff. And this is Holland, and I'll see you next week when I tell you another crazy story. And remember, you don't have to fight this fright.